Section 2 of The Life of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Charlemagne by Notger the Stammerer. Translated by Arthur James Grant. Section 2. Book 1, Part 2. When Charles one day came in his journeyings to a certain palace, a certain clerk from among the wandering monks entered the choir, and being completely ignorant of these rules, was soon forced to remain stupid and silent among the singers. Thereupon the choirmaster raised his wand and threatened to strike him unless he went on singing. Then the poor clerk, not knowing what to do or where to turn, and not daring to go out, twisted his neck into the shape of a bow and with open mouth and distended cheeks did his utmost to imitate the appearance of a singer. All the rest could not restrain their laughter. But the most valiant emperor, whose mind was never shaken from its firm base even by great events, seemed not to notice his mockery of singing, and waited in due order until the end of the Mass. But then he called the poor wretch before him, and pitying his struggles and his anxiety soothed his fears with these words many thanks good clerk for your singing and your efforts then he ordered a pound of silver to be given him to relieve his poverty but i must not seem to forget or to neglect alcuin and will therefore make this true statement about his energy and his deserts all his pupils without exception distinguished themselves by becoming either holy abbots or bishops my master Grimald studied the literal arts under him, first in Gaul and then in Italy. But those who are learned in these matters may charge me with falsehood for saying, all his pupils without exception, when the fact is that there were in his schools two young men, sons of a miller in the service of the monastery of St. Columban, who did not seem fit and proper persons for promotion to the command of bishoprics or monasteries. But even these men were, by the influence probably of their teacher, advanced one after the other to the office of minister in the monastery of Bobbio, in which they displayed the greatest energy. So the most glorious Charles saw the study of letters flourishing throughout his whole realm, but still he was grieved to find that it did not reach the ripeness of the earlier fathers. And so, after superhuman labors, he broke out one day with this expression of his sorrow. Would that I had twelve clerks so learned in all wisdom, and so perfectly trained, as were Jerome and Augustine. Then the learned Alcuin, feeling himself ignorant indeed in comparison with these great names, rose to a height of daring that no man else attained to in the presence of the terrible Charles, and said, with deep indignation in his mind, but none in his countenance. The Maker of heaven and earth has not many like to those men, and do you expect to have twelve? Here I must report something which the men of our time will find it difficult to believe, for I myself who write it could hardly believe it, so great is the difference between our method of chanting and the Roman. Were it not that we must trust rather the accuracy of our fathers than the false suggestions of modern sloth. Well then, Charles, that never-wearied lover of the service of God, 
when he could congratulate himself that all possible progress had been made in the knowledge of letters, was grieved to observe how widely the different provinces, nay, not the provinces only, but districts and cities, differed in the praise of God, that is to say, in their method of chanting. He therefore asked of Pope Stephen of blessed memory, the same who, after Hilderic, king of the Franks, had been deposed and tonsured, had anointed Charles to be ruler of the kingdom after the ancestral custom of the people, he asked of Pope Stephen, I say, that he should provide him with twelve clerks deeply learned in divine song. The Pope yielded assent to his virtuous wish and his divinely inspired design, and sent to him in Frankland from the apostolic see clerks skilled in divine song and twelve in number, according to the number of the twelve apostles. Now when I said Franklin just above, I meant all the provinces north of the Alps. For, as it is written, In those days ten men shall take hold out of all the languages of the nations, shall even take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. So at that time, by reason of the glory of Charles, Gauls, Aquitanians, Eduans, Spaniards, Germans, and Bavarians thought that no small honor was paid to them if they were thought worthy to be called the servants of the Franks. Now, when the aforementioned clerks were departing from Rome, being, like all Greeks and Romans, torn with envy of the glory of the Franks, they took counsel among themselves, and determined so to vary their method of singing that his kingdom and dominion should never have cause to rejoice in unity and agreement. So when they came to Charles, they were received most honorably and dispatched to the chief places, and thereupon each in his allotted place began to chant as differently as possible, and to teach others to sing in like fashion, and in as false a manner as they could invent. But as the most cunning Charles celebrated one year the feast of the birth and coming of Christ at Treves or Metz, and most carefully and cleverly grasped and understood the style of the singing, and then the next year passed the same solemn season at Paris or Tours, but found that the singing was wholly different from what he had heard in the preceding year, as moreover he found that those whom he had sent into different places were also at variance with one another, he reported the whole matter to Pope Leo, of holy memory, who had succeeded Stephen. The Pope summoned the clerks back to Rome and condemned them to exile or perpetual imprisonment, and then said to Charles, If I send you others, they will be blinded with the same malice as their predecessors, and will not fail to cheat you. But I think I can satisfy your wishes in this way. Send me two of the cleverest clerks that you have by you, in such a way that those who are with me may not know that they belong to you, and with God's help they shall attain to as perfect a knowledge of those things as you desire. So said, so done. Soon the Pope sent them back, excellently trained, to Charles. One of them he kept at his own court. The other, upon the petition of his son Drogo, Bishop of Metz, he sent to that cathedral. And not only did his energy show itself powerful in that city, but it soon spread so widely throughout all Franklin that now all in these regions, who use the Latin tongue, call the ecclesiastical chant Metensian, or if they use the Teutonic or Teuthiscan tongue, they call it Mette, 
or if the Greek form is used, it is called Metisk. The most pious emperor also ordered Peter, the singer who had come to reside with him, to reside for a while in the monastery of St. Gall. There, too, Charles established the chanting as it is today with an authentic songbook, and gave most careful instructions, being always a warm champion of St. Gall, that the Roman method of singing should be both taught and learnt. He gave to the monastery also much money and many lands. He gave, too, relics contained in a reliquary made of solid gold and gems, which is called the Shrine of Charles. It was the habit of the most religious and temperate Charles to take food during Lent at the seventh hour of the day, after having been present at the celebration of Mass and evening lauds, and in so doing he was not violating the fast, for he was following the Lord's command in taking food at an earlier hour than usual. Now a certain bishop, who offended against the precept of Solomon in being just but foolish, took him unwisely to task for this whereupon the most wise Charles concealed his wrath and received the bishop's admonition in all humility, saying, Good Sir Bishop, your admonition is good, and now my advice to you is that you should take no food until the very humblest of my servants who stand in my court have been fed. Now, while Charles was eating, he was waited upon by dukes and rulers and kings of various peoples and when his banquet was ended, then those who served him fed, and they were served by counts and prefects and nobles of different ranks. And when these last had made an end of eating, then came the military officers and the scholars of the palace, then the chiefs of the various departments of the palace, then their subordinates, then the servants of those servants, so that the last comers did not get a mouthful of food before the middle of the night. When, therefore, Lent was nearly ended and the bishop in question had endured this punishment all the time, the most merciful Charles said to him, Now, Sir Bishop, I think you have found out that it is not lack of self-restraint, but care for others which makes me dine in Lent before the hour of evening. Once he asked a bishop for his blessing, and he, thereupon, after blessing the bread, partook of it first himself, and then wanted to give it to the most honorable Charles, who, however, said to him, You may keep all the bread for yourself. And much to the bishop's confusion, he refused to receive his blessing. The most careful Charles would never give more than one county to any of his counts, unless they happened to live on the borders or marches of the barbarians nor would he ever give a bishop any abbacy or church that was in the royal gift, unless there were very special reasons for doing it. When his counsellors or friends asked him the reason for this, he would answer, With that revenue or that estate, with that little abbey or that church, I can secure the fidelity of some vassal, as good a man as any bishop or count, and perhaps better. But when there were special reasons, he would give several benefices to one man, as he did, for instance, to Udalric, brother of the great Hildegard, the mother of kings and emperors. Now Udalric, after Hildegard's death, was deprived of his honors for a certain offense, and a buffoon thereupon said in the hearing of the most merciful Charles, Now has Udalric, by the death of his sister, lost all his honors, both in east and west. Charles was touched by these words, and restored to him at once all his former honors. 
he opened his hands most widely and liberally when justice bade him to certain holy places as will appear in the sequel there was a certain bishopric which lay full in charles's path when he journeyed and which indeed he could hardly avoid and the bishop of this place always anxious to give satisfaction put everything that he had at charles's disposal but once the emperor came quite unexpectedly and the bishop in great anxiety had to fly hither and thither like a swallow and had not only the palaces and houses but also the courts and squares swept and cleaned and then tired and irritated came to meet him the most pious charles noticed this and after examining all the various details he said to the bishop my kind host you always have everything splendidly clean for my arrival then the bishop as if divinely inspired bowed his head and grasped the king's never conquered right hand and hiding his irritation kissed it and said it is but right my lord that wherever you come all things should be thoroughly cleansed then charles of all kings the wisest understanding the state of affairs said to him if i empty i can also fill and he added you may have that estate which lies close to your bishopric, and all your successors may have it until the end of time. End of section 2